0: While you do that, I want to point something out to you here. You should have received a card like this, um, and so go ahead and be finding that. Um, I know on a a day like today, we get lots of different kinds of folks between our two services. We get North Park folks who have been here for... some of them, 30, 40, 50 years, and we get folks that are here for the first time, or folks that are here once or twice a year, and no matter where you're at and all that, we're just glad you're here and that you're worshiping with us today, and uh, Easter always brings out different types of folks. Some folks are excited, it's like, woohoo, uh, Jesus is alive, can't wait to get the church. So they're at the sunrise service, some, some of you have been at both services, right? And so just excited that it's Easter, and then some folks kind of have to be, you know, um, you know, cajoled a little bit and uh, maybe almost drugged to church. And uh, no matter the situation, we're glad you're here. I heard about a guy this morning, actually, uh, for sunrise service. He had to, he kind of had to be, you know, nudged a little bit to go. He told his wife, he said, um, I don't want to go to that church this morning. And she said, Why is that? He said, Well, one, uh, they're not friendly, nobody speaks to me. Number two, uh, everybody looks at me suspicious and judgmental. And number three, I get bored, and I just don't like it. I'm not going. And his wife looked at him, and she said, listen, honey. She goes, this is ridiculous. Number one... They're not unfriendly. You're just a stick in the mud. And number two, they're not being judgmental and suspicious of you. You're just paranoid. And number three, you're the pastor and you have to go to church. And so that's how Christy got me to the sunrise service this morning. And um so, but no joke, no matter how you um are here this morning, we're just glad you're here. And so whether you're here for the uh because you were um, you know, against your will, or you're here because uh, you just like to be here, um, we would love for you to participate in our Easter survey. On the front side, you see a connection card, name, information, all that. Even if you've been here um you know, since I don't know the first Easter morning, um, we're grateful, uh, and we would love for you to fill that out for us. Or if you're here and uh, it's your first time here, we'd love for you to fill that out for us. All I can tell you is you can trust us with the information. We're not going to do anything weird with it. You're not going to end up on some uh, mailing list that you didn't didn't want to be on. And you know, you know, we're not telemarketers or anything like that. Uh, we will pray for you, and you will get a note if you're a first time guest, thanking you for your visit with us today. That's about as extensive as we get. And so that's the connection card side. And we'd love for you to share any prayer requests that you have with us, and all those get prayed over by our staff, and we would love to pray with you if there's something we can pray with you about. And then on the Easter survey side, the first one may or may not pertain to you. If you've got questions about what it means to follow Christ, what it, to being baptized, or, or joining North Park, uh, then that's a place for you to indicate on that. If, if that doesn't pertain to you, then you can skip it. The second section is really important, okay? And it's, it's, it's our big survey question this year, and that is, I'm most interested in hearing what the Bible says about and you see we've given you some help there, and then we've left some other blanks. Here's what this is for. I'm going to do a series later this year using this as my guide. And basically we're asking you, hey, what are some things that you would like to learn more or what the Bible says about these things? And we'll build the series uh, based on that. And so we're no, it doesn't really help me if you check them all um, because I can't really cover them all. But if you check the two or three that strike at you the most, or what really helps is if you've got an other um, stuff that we didn't think of. And you can check other and write those in. You can even, if you've got more than two, add those in. Those are the best kind. So if you go ahead and be filling that out, and we'll deal with the rest of that, that big A, B, C, D. It's not a vision test. We'll be having that. uh, We'll use that here at the end of our time together today uh, as we finish our survey. And so, listen, the good news today is that while Jesus rose from the dead 2,000 years ago, that has implications for my life and for your life today. I mean, what good is it if Jesus rose from the dead, and it really has no implication for your life today? I mean, what, what would be the point, right? What would be the point if Jesus rose from the dead, but he can't raise you from the dead? And so, when we celebrate Easter, we're not just celebrating that the resurrection happened. We celebrate that Jesus is the resurrection, okay? He said, I am the resurrection and the life. We celebrate that not only did he rise, but all those who have faith in him are going to rise. We, we can experience new life in this life, and we We can experience eternal life with them forever. And so that's good news that we celebrate. So that's the big so what, if you will, of Easter. That we can have new life in Christ, eternal life with Christ. The resurrection is a person and it's an experience that we can experience as well. Jesus can change our lives. So that means Easter has implications for my life. Easter has implications for your life, all of our lives, depending on what we do with that truth. Now, the Bible teaches one of the big things that, that the implications of the resurrection of Jesus is that all those who follow Him can have something called living hope, and that's our topic this morning. Living hope—we can have a living hope because of the empty tomb. We can have hope and joy and life. Uh, that the suffering um, and, and death that Jesus took for us on the cross and His resurrection from the dead means that that we can have a hope that suffering and death can't take from us. And that's good news this morning. And Peter, who was one of the first eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus, writes about that in the book of 1 Peter. So I'm going to read to you from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. We've got it on the screen for you this morning. If you don't have a Bible, I am reading from the English Standard Version. So read along with me. I'm going to read the first five, three verses there, 3, 4, and 5 to begin with. Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father, Of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Let's pause there. A little brief recap of Peter's story. If you're not familiar with Peter's story, Peter's a follower of Jesus who in Jesus' last hours before his death, he is asked if he knows Jesus, if he's a disciple of Jesus, and he denies Jesus, even to the point that he calls curses down, like he curses himself, like I do not know that man, denies him three times in his critical hours, and what we know is after Jesus rose from the dead, the Gospel of John tells us, Jesus restored Peter to himself, to the other disciples and then Peter goes on he preaches at Pentecost after Jesus ascends back to heaven and some 3,000 plus people come to faith and he becomes greatly used by God so Peter understood something about hope and how Jesus's resurrection radically changes our hopes Ed Clowney points out how Peter had his hopes dashed when Jesus died he really did right I mean, when you think about it, he had followed Jesus around for some three years, three and a half years, and then Jesus dies, even though he had told them he was going to die. They, they were kind of thick-headed like we can be sometimes. They just didn't seem to get that. And so he's crushed at that, but also on top of that, he's got to live with the grief And the shame that in those final moments he denied Jesus. So he had seen hopes dashed and then he had seen hope reborn when Jesus was raised from the dead. He sounds awfully hopeful here when he says, according to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now Peter is writing this to a group of Jewish Christians who were scattered around by persecution. They they were being persecuted. They were suffering, but they had experienced life-changing hope through faith in Jesus. And he says these people, these people with this hope, he says, have been born again into this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Peter is using language that Jesus himself used. In John 3, Jesus told a man named Nicodemus, you must be born again. And what Jesus meant there is he meant everyone must be born again. He said, what do you mean? Well, that confused Nicodemus. He thought, well, does that mean I've got to somehow be reborn from my mother's womb? I don't see how that's a possibility. And Jesus said, no, no, no. I'm talking about spiritual birth. I'm talking about new birth. I'm talking about not a physical birth, a spiritual birth. You need to be born of heaven. You need to be born of God. You need to be born again. And it's those people that Peter now says sometime later after the resurrection of Jesus that Peter says have this living hope. Those that are born again. Now think about this. Our world is a very broken place. None of us deny that. We're a very broken people, and we're in need of new life. We are prone to hope in something other than God. We're prone to trust in things other than God. We're prone to put something at the center of our life for our life to revolve around and get its meaning and value and strength from other than God. And every single person in this room has done this, including this pastor. We all are prone to do that. So let me ask you this morning a little diagnostic question. What is at the very center of your life? What is the most important thing to you? What is the one thing that if you lost it, that you would feel your very identity stripped away, your whole, like your whole life was over? What's the one thing you can't bear to lose and go on? Listen, we're created for that to be God. We're designed in such a way that God is supposed to be at the center and and, and that's supposed to be the one person that we cling to that that we can't can't imagine life without him. He's most important. He's at the center of our life. The one that gives us purpose. The one that shapes our desires. The one we think about most. But we are born into this world inclined to do things our own way, not God's way. So we need to be made new. (laughs) We need to be born again. And he says here, Peter says, the new birth is caused by God. It's not something we do. It's a change only God can bring about. We need God to do something for us that we can't do for ourselves. It's not what we do, it's about what God does in and through us. It's like, I'm the father of three. I've got a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and an 18-month-old. And I was there uh, by God's grace, I got to be a part of all three of their births. I was there, I was, I was in the room when they were born. And I, they didn't really have anything to do with it. They didn't plan their birth. They, 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 they were just like, you know, boom, and then, you know, here, sometime later, here they were. They, it, was just, it was all very mysterious, but it wasn't really about something they did. And I can be honest, with you, I was, I didn't do anything either, really. I held a wet washcloth and, uh, to keep my wife's head cool. And I, I learned after the first kid that that was a really big deal. And um, I didn't mess up on the second or the third. And so I finally got that. The washcloth is important. And uh, so us husbands, we, we have kind of a, a small role, insignificant role in all that, right? Well, in salvation and being born again, it's not really about what we do. He says, he says God causes it. God causes it. And it's, it's even more miraculous than physical birth. Is this spiritual birth. And every person needs it. Because every person is born into this world in sin. From birth, we are strangers towards God. Exiled from his presence by our sin. In need of new spiritual birth. That's what Peter's talking about here. And he's saying it's those who have experienced that new birth that have this living hope. So if you're here this morning and you're born again... The good news of Easter for you is that you have this living hope. See, Jesus came to usher in the kingdom of God. He's making all things new, the Bible teaches us. And he begins with you. He begins with me. He begins in our heart. There's one day there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. But before that, there's going to be a new you. Okay? But through faith in him. Now, here's the thing. Every single one of us this morning either have living hope like Peter talks about, or we've got dying hopes, right? Living hope or dying hope. And the the born again, those that have been made new by God, they are the ones with the living hope, and those that don't have it, they simply have this dying hope. Now, only if our hope is rooted in a living Savior who has conquered death can we have living hope. That's why all these other hopes die with us or even before us. But the thing is, We crave something that lasts. We crave something that's eternal. God offers us living hope through Jesus. We crave for the eternal. We long for the eternal. But we find ourselves constantly filling up on things that can't last, hope that can't last, putting our faith in things that can't last. But we're made for eternity. You know, the book of Ecclesiastes says God has actually put put eternity in our hearts. We kind of deep down, we just kind of know there's more. And we long for it. We we long to live forever. Like that we, like, we, like we don't like it. We don't it, like we don't like death. We don't like it. It's kind of foreign. It was introduced into this world by sin. We we long for, forever. You know. I was thinking this week. Now, this past weekend, uh, the sports world got all excited when um, Tiger Woods uh, won his first major, I think it was, in 11 years, so a little over a decade, his first master's tournament. If you're not a golf person, that's like the really important tournament, as far as I'm concerned, And um, it, it, in like 14 years. And at one time, this dude was considered maybe the greatest golfer ever, number one in the world, was won all these tournaments. And then all of a sudden, he has some injury problems, some different personal issues that happen, and, and he goes down, he's like ranked like 1,000 and something. And so on one end, I watched this week as everybody kind of celebrated this comeback, but I got to thinking about it. I was like, you know, we all like a comeback, but man, like half of America rooted against this guy 15 years ago. I remember... Um, people cheered against him because they, he was like the Yankees, okay? Like, it's like you either love the Yankees or you hate the Yankees, right? It's like, so, I mean, it's, it's, like, it's the Patriots. You either love the Patriots or you hate the Patriots. I'm using a lot of sports analogies here, but you get the point. And that's the way it was with Tiger Woods. You either pulled for him or you pulled against him. But I watched last week, everybody was pulling for him. I was like, wow, everybody's pulling for this guy. And they're like, yeah, we love a good comeback. And I think it's more than that. Tiger Woods is 43, well past the age that people typically or the top of any sport, much less his sport. Well, well past that age when it typically happens. He, he's at the tail end of his career, and I, I think there's something in us that we like. He, he looked 15 years younger last week, and, and, and we felt maybe 15 years younger. And We, don't, we like things to last, and it kind of reminded us. It was a little nostalgic, and it was kind of like, yeah, this can go on forever. It's kind of like, man, if we could just see Michael Jordan jump from the free throw line one more time, but it ain't happening, right? Right? You, those gr- great singers with those big voices, and as they, as they age, and you see them on a Grammys or, or something singing, you're like, you know, they can't quite sing like they used to. And man, we wish they could. We hate to see that, right? When we watch the Academy Awards, if you watch the Academy Awards, and you see people, all the people that have passed away, and you're like, oh, man, they passed away. We, we, we just, we want it to last, right? We want it to go on forever. But it doesn't. It doesn't. But we're made for forever, and we crave a hope that lasts forever. Let me ask you this what do you have in your life right now? This morning, that death cannot steal from you. That sickness and suffering can't take from you. Where are you looking this morning for meaning and purpose and fulfillment? Identity. You know, even if we're family people, you say, well, my family. Well, even our families can't bear the burden of eternal hope. Even they can't do that. Listen, there's no relationship stronger or more beautiful than that between husband and wife. But even those vows say what? Till death do us part. I was thinking this week, there's a a singer-songwriter I enjoy listening to sometime. He's uh, named Jason Isbell. He's a Grammy winner. And he wrote wrote this song. It sounds, a cheesy sounding name called If We Were Vampires, but it won a Grammy. Um, But he's talking about the relationship with his wife. And he says this, he says, It's knowing that this can't go on forever. Likely one of us will have to spend some days alone. Maybe we'll get 40 years together. But one day I'll be gone. Or one day you'll be gone. And what Isabel is saying, what really gets to him... In his marriage to this woman he loves, is that it can't last forever. Because why? We ache for forever happiness, forever joy. We say, "Well, that, that, that's not really what." Where I'm getting my, you know, I, I, I try hard and I try to be successful and and I and I do work. I work at my career and I'm earning and I'm doing well and and, man, I, I, and doing a job well done. Listen, there's no trophy case in eternity. There, there's there's no 501 in eternity. <laughs> none of those things. Not. The old joke, you know, you've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse. It's true, right? We can't take it with us. How about pleasure? Well, though, we know those fade. That's why we have to keep refilling on new pleasures. Because it's just, it's, it's, you're trying to, to satisfy this craving you have that is for eternity with temporal things. It's, it's infinite and you're pouring in finite things. Uh, we need something more. We're we're made for something more, and the point is, is there is nothing in this life that if that if you put your hope in it, that it can't be taken, lost, or forfeited, other than Jesus. The only hope that is living. And not dying is one rooted in his Savior that has conquered death. Peter shows us the living hope Jesus offers is relevant both, listen, for our future and for our present. He says, we're born again to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you right there in verse 4. He's describing, man, that, that, that inheritance, that future hope we have. Now, this is a largely Jewish audience, and they grew up, man, being taught about the land, right, the promised land. Land flowing with milk and honey. And, and Peter's evoking that imagery. And here's what he's saying to him Jesus has something for you better than that land, He's got something better for you than that. By inheritance, he's referring to our future salvation, our living hope, our inheritance, our salvation. They're all the same in this passage. And Peter's saying those who are born again, who have new life in Christ, can be confident that they'll be saved from God's judgment and they'll in fact live forever with God and have everything God intends for them to have for all of eternity. That's the future that he's promising to all those who are born again through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Now, the inheritance that he displays here is very different than anything we have in this world, right? He says it's imperishable. First of all, so one person said it this way: death, sin, and time can't touch it. Whereas death, sin, and time touches everything that we experience in this life. He says it's imperishable, right? It's not. It's not going anywhere. It, it will not perish. I, I thought this week about the Notre Dame Cathedral as we watched on news. Is this this building that that was begun construction in 1160, right? 1160, it took them like a hundred years or more to, to get most of that completed. And I got to think, man, this thing is centuries old, generations have come and gone. And then all of a sudden, we learned this week that even the most gorgeous, enduring, lasting, seemingly permanent things in this life are perishing as that building began to burn. But God offers to those who trust in Christ a hope that will not perish being saved from his judgment, being with him forever in heaven. But not only that, he says it's undefiled. Sin touches everything we can think of in this life. Everything gets touched by sin. We've seen relationships ruined by sin. Some of you know you've had friendships ruined by sin. Some of you have had marriages ruined by sin. Some of you have had relationships with your kids ruined by sin. Some of you, people have have had all sorts of things in their life wrecked by sin. We all have to some degree or another because we're all sinners. In fact, we see, we've seen in the news over the last couple of years, entire reputations and careers ruined by sin because sin defiles everything. But he says here, he says, this hope is undefiled. Why? Because it was purchased and paid for by an undefiled Savior, one whom sin did not touch, one who did not sin, but took our sin for us and paid for it on the cross. And he offers us an inheritance that man, sin can't touch and sin can't take away. And it's unfading, unfading. Time can't touch it. And we know everything in this life is passing and wilting. We see the leaves fall to the ground, flowers wilt, the grass dies. Things fade, paint jobs fade, right? And things fade, have to be refreshed all the time, right? Listen, we wilt, right? Look at your neighbor and say, hey, you don't look as good as you, you. I'm just kidding. Don't say that to them this morning. They would probably, you might get slapped, right? Just definitely don't tell that to your wife or anything, but, but we're fading. We're fading, we're wilting. And what Peter's really getting at is this. The salvation that Jesus offers is not going to disappoint you. It's not going to perish. It's not going to be defiled. It's not going to fade away. It's going to be better than anything you can experience in this life because he says this, it's kept for you in heaven by God. It's under lock and key. We've all been sold on something before and then been let down later, right? The restaurant that wasn't as good as we thought, the career path that just didn't turn out, Whatever it may be, we, we've all had that happen before, but it felt like we got taken, right? You bought something, you laid down some money, and then at the end of the day, oh, it wasn't what I thought I was getting. We've all, we've all felt that before. Peter says, that's not gonna happen here. It's better than you can imagine. And you might be thinking here this morning, well, that's great, that's in the future, but I don't plan on dying anytime soon. And, but you know what? We, we, we don't normally. But let me tell you this, it's not just about the future, it's about now. It's a hope for the present. He says in verse 5, These born-again people are by God's power being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. God's protecting them for something in the future, but God is guarding through their faith. Right now, God is active and present at work in their life. The born-again devoted Christ follower has God's power guarding them through faith. Here's why. So they don't fall away or quit or forfeit this thing. That's good news. Because listen, this is why people try to get religious and try to add religion to their life. And try to do better. And we fail. This is why we fail at it over and over again. Because, wait, hey, I'm going to do better. I'm going to do better with my temper. I'm going to do better with my selfishness. I'm going to do better with my greed. I'm going to get more generous. I'm going to be more patient. I'm going to go to church more. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to stop this bad habit. I'm going to stop that bad habit. And we get this, in this, in this, like this hamster wheel. And we find ourselves doing the same thing over and over and over and over again and many times it's because it's something we're trying to do and not something God's doing but but when, when we have faith in Jesus what he tells us happens is we get God's help. And God begins to guard and God begins to help and God begins to strengthen and God begins to work in your heart and in your life. But even more than that, look here, look at verses six through nine. Let me read it to you. It's on the screen. Verses six through nine says this. He goes on to say, in this, in this hope, and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's be clear. Peter makes a very good point here. The hope Jesus offers does not eliminate pain, suffering, and hard times. In fact, he he points out the fact that they're going through that. He even says it's necessary, right? Right? Even Jesus was betrayed. Even Jesus was rejected. Even Jesus suffered. He doesn't offer us a pain-free life. He does offer you a life-altering hope that provides joy and purpose even in the midst of pain and suffering. See, these believers were rejoicing in the face of suffering, in the face of persecution. You say, why were they rejoicing in the face of that? Jesus. He he explains it. See, when you know your future, it changes the present. When your ultimate hope can't be touched or taken by sin or death, it allows you to rejoice even in the midst of trouble. It's why that martyrs all over the world can, can die for their faith in joy. It's because, man, they're not look, their hope is not in something in this life that death can touch, that death can take, that sickness can take. In fact, God uses the suffering of this life to prove, he says, our faith. To show that It's real. The pain of this life tests the genuineness of our faith so that it can be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus returns. In other words, our suffering is not wasted. God uses it to strengthen our faith. God uses it to reveal our faith to a watching world, even to our own hearts. No pain that a Christian goes through is ever wasted. God uses every drop for his glory and for your good. Here's what we need to understand. See, perspective shapes experience. We know this to be true. Depending on your perspective in life, it can it shapes how you tend to experience things in life. And what happens to the believer, to the born again person here, is they have an, they have they have their perspective changed by Jesus, and, and so they they begin to experience things in a different way. It's kind of like have you ever had a movie ruined for you? You know, somebody told you the ending to whatever, and then you watch the movie, and you're like, that would have been great if Josh didn't ruin the movie for me, right? I mean, it's just not as good, and it's like, I remember like 20 years ago, the movie that everybody was in, and like, so it's 20 years ago, so I can't even believe I'm bringing it up, but so if you haven't seen this movie, and i ruin it for you, literally, it's been 20 years, um, was Sixth Sense, right? It was one of those movies that if you see the end, you're like, oh, wow, mind blown, right? Here's the thing Christianity works opposite. When, 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 we, when we come to Christ and we begin to grow in our faith, we, we begin to realize we, un, we know the end. And, and so now, the movie, so to speak, it's more enjoyable because when we go through suffering, we know you know what? First of all, there, there, I know how this ends. And it ends with Jesus on the throne and me gathered around it. And it ends without suffering and it ends without pain. I I, I know that it, number one, that it does end. And I know that it ends in victory. And so I I know that. So it shapes my perspective when I go through the pain and trouble of this life. That's the hope that the born again have that impacts this life. The bottom line is only Jesus offers a living hope that can't be killed or stolen from you by suffering or by death. And anything else we hope in and look to, it won't work out in the end. Death's going to take it. Death is a thief, and death is inevitable. And sin and suffering tends to touch everything. We need something bigger than that. But this hope can belong to the born again. It does belong to the born again. And the good news is, if you have been made new in Christ this morning by God, if he has given you a new heart that believes in Jesus, that loves Jesus, that obeys Jesus, then you have this hope. But if you don't believe in love and obey Jesus, if you've not been made new, then you need to be made new. You need to have this experience of being what he calls being born again. He say, well, what does that look like? Well, who are the born again? Well, I think he describes them in verses 8 and 9. He tells them, he says, listen, though you haven't seen Jesus, you love him. And though you haven't seen Jesus, you, you believe in him. You believe he's the Messiah. You believe he died for your sin. You believe he rose from the dead. And you rejoice in him. I'm telling you, born again people believe in love and rejoice in Jesus, right? You say, well, how do I know if I really love him? Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments right? And so at the end of the day, those that love and obey Jesus, those that really believe in Jesus, those are the people that he's describing here who are born. It's not the religious crowd. It's not the crowd that goes to church necessarily. It's not the crowd that's necessarily been through all the different religious rituals. It's those who have been born again. So therefore, they believe him, love, and rejoice in Jesus. He's their joy. He's their joy. Not the perishable things of the world. Jesus is their joy. And many times people Many times people try to add religious stuff to their life without experiencing new birth. And so we add church and attendance and prayer and maybe some spiritual disciplines. We might even start trying to be more generous, and we start adding these things, and it, and it don't work. In fact, it don't even feel right. It doesn't even quite fit right sometimes. Even, even people that grew up in church many times do this, and it's like midlife crisis guy. Have you ever met midlife crisis guy? Midlife crisis guy, if you're here this morning, welcome. Uh, we love you. We're glad you're here. And uh, midlife crisis guy, he, 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 he's not happy with his life. And so he begins to go and try to fix his life in his mind, and so he goes out and he, he might get a new, whole new job and he might get a whole new wardrobe. And he goes and buys a whole new car and usually involves spending some money. And sometimes, unfortunately, he goes and gets a new girlfriend. And really what he's trying to do is he's trying to fix an internal problem with an external fix. And that don't work. And we know it don't work. He's not, the problem's on the inside, and he's trying to fix it with stuff on the outside. You go, yeah, I've met that guy. And listen, religious people that don't have a relationship with Jesus, they're doing the same thing. We're trying to fix something. I know, because I used to be that guy. And we're trying to fix something on the outside when really the problem is on the inside. And you can't fix the inside with external conformity. External conformity does not equal internal change. And going through the motions of religion will not equal a new you. It is only gaining a meaningful relationship with Jesus that will equal a new you. Now you may ask, well, if this new birth is what God does, what am I supposed to do? Sit here and wait and get zapped? Right? You say, it's God calls. Is it what? Well, here's the thing. It's not by works. It's not by willpower. It is. It's a miracle of God. You say, well, what what would God have? Here's how you do it. If God's speaking to your heart right now, It's showing you that you need to be born again and you need to be made new. The Bible says you need to do this. You need to turn from your sin. That means repent. Turn from your sin and believe the gospel. And anybody that will believe the gospel can be made brand new. Listen. Jesus died and rose again to give you new life. Are you a sinner this morning? If you're a sinner this morning, you qualify. Jesus died to reconcile sinners to God. And if we'll turn from our sin and embrace what Christ did on the cross, we can be saved. Just turning from our sin, sin, turning from our way of doing it and relinquishing that to him, turning to him in faith and believing the good news of the gospel. You say, what's the gospel? It's the good news that we talked about at the beginning this morning, that Jesus Christ has come into the world to reconcile man to God. He lived a sinless life that you and I needed to live but couldn't. And then he died a death that we deserve to die. See, God did a miracle on the cross. It wasn't just about nails and a whip and a cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he took the judgment of God for you and me for our sins. He took the wrath of God for us and died in our place, willingly laying down his life so that we can be forgiven. And the reason a just God can forgive a sinful you and me is because a loving Jesus took the judgment we deserve so that he got wrath and you get mercy. He he took judgment and you get grace. But you got to receive it and you receive it by faith. The Bible says three days later he rose from the dead. And I'm telling you the same God that rose Jesus from the dead can give life to an unbelieving heart. It doesn't matter if you grew up atheist, agnostic, or religious, and Baptist, or Catholic, or whatever it is. If you've never been born again, you need new birth. And the call of the Bible to you is turn from your sin, believe the gospel. Believe what Jesus has done. Rest in nothing but the gospel. And then Jesus takes that center place in your life and your life begins to revolve around him. And he begins to transform us from the inside out. And that hope can be yours today. Listen, if you're a believer in Jesus, a genuine, man, I'm not talking about, hey, I go to church. But you've you've been transformed by Jesus. The good news is this living hope we've talked about this morning is yours. Bought and paid for by Jesus. It cannot be taken away from you. And that's why we celebrate this morning. But listen, if you're here this morning and that's not yours, the good news is it can be. This is what I want to do. I want you to grab that survey card and that pen. And we're going to do our survey now. And all I'm asking is for you to trust us, trust me, with just letting us know about your spiritual condition. We're, we're, we're surveying your spiritual condition this morning. And I promise you, this is confidential. And we're going to take them up here in just a moment when we do our offering. We did it at the last service, and people were great to participate in that, and I believe you will be too. But you see, A, B, C, D. There on that card. I'm going to explain what each of those letters mean to you. We've got a slide right there. A means I'm already in a life-changing relationship with Jesus. I'm not asking if you go to church. I'm not trying to get you to join this church. I'm I'm talking about Jesus has transformed my life. I put my faith in him, and he's made me new. I've been born again. I'm already there, Josh. That's great. We want to know who celebrate that with you. Would you circle A? B is I would like to begin a new relationship with Jesus today. I haven't been born again. I can't, I can't say for sure that I'm a Christian, and, and I can't say for sure that I've been forgiven of my sin, but I, I want to be. I want a relationship with Christ that will change me. I, w- I want that living hope. I want to begin that today. And if you want to begin that today, let us know just by circling B. C is I want to consider it more. Hey, preacher, I hear you. And, man, you have preached your heart out up there today, but I, I need time, and I get it, and we respect that. And if you would like to consider it more, just circle C. And we just want to be praying for you and just know, hey, you need to consider it more. Please be honest with us. Just let us know. I'm just thinking this over. And D is, I did not ever <laughs> intend to follow Jesus. And that's okay, too. Right? Just let, hey, D, I don't ever intend to do this. This is not my deal. And that's okay. We just want to know. We just want to, we just want to pray for you. But, and that's it, okay? A, B, C, or D. Everybody's somewhere on that list. Whether you circle the right letter or not. All of us are somewhere on this list. We're either already born again, we need to begin a new relationship with Jesus today, we need to think about it some more, or we don't ever intend to. We all feel one way or the other about this. Would you let us know and circle that? Now, if you circled B this morning, or, or you intended to circle B this morning, and you want to begin a new relationship with Jesus, I want to invite you to do that now. So would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? And, you know, the Bible tells us that the way that we can have a relationship with Jesus is through faith in him. We need to turn from our sin and put our faith in Jesus. You just need to trust That when Jesus died on the cross, he died for you. And then Jesus rose from the dead. And you need to be willing to, by faith, surrender your life to him. And I want to invite you to do that just by praying to him. The words are not really important. It's not really about the prayer. It's about putting your faith in Jesus. But if you would like to do that this morning, would you pray this prayer? I'm going to give you words to pray. And you can just pray them in your heart. Pray your own words. Like I said, it's not the words. It's the attitude of your heart. Would you just say something like this? Dear God, I know that I am a sinner and that I need new life and right now the best way I know how I'm turning from my sin and I put my faith in Jesus Christ I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins and I believe he rose from the dead would you please forgive me my sin and help me to follow Jesus God, thank you for saving me and for forgiving me. Help me to live for you. With heads bowed.